Good morning, and in case you're watching this later, good afternoon, good evening, and good night. Thank you for tuning in to Richard and Carl Present Deep Space and Dragons, where we go over all the nerdy things that happen to cast our interest when we decide to do this episode. I'm Carl. And I'm Richard. Today's topic will be a deep dive into the multiverse, be it Marvel, mm. DC, or possibly sentient pickles. But first, let's start this off with what's new with you. Uh, well, um, <clears throat> I have been uh, working on building a uh, homemade sandblaster, which I'm not actually sure if it would be cheaper than just buying a sandblaster, but uh, you can buy like uh, powder-coated tumblers and then blast off designs and fill them all with your, in with your own paint to create your own uh, merch. So I want to assure our listeners here that me and you have been friends for a very long time. And I need that to be reassured for when I make the following statement is not taking out a contest. How are you still alive? What? Building a sandblaster is not that dangerous. Plus, apparently you can use baking soda to blast... Uh, fossils without damaging them that actually makes me think of i heard a, about spying salt guns to shoot flies salt guns to shoot flies yeah it just fires a single piece of salt at the fly huh. i don't know a piece of crystal of salt I, that would hurt regardless but yes sandblast oh are you making an awesome gridded gaming table with your sandblaster uh, well, I'm not really sure what I'm going to make with, with the sandblaster. It is in an actual like cabinet of sorts, so um, there's a limit to the size of what I can actually sandblast. All right. Well, that was definitely not what I was expecting in a fantastic new with Carl. <laughs> What's new with Richard? So, I, at this exact moment, have returned to a university campus for the first time since... Redacted happened. Redacted being the last couple of years. I'm just going to redact those years. And it was interesting for social media, uh, sorry, social distancing, being hand masked at the door, individual seating areas marked. It was like being. So I found a completely empty, closed down Starbucks I've been referring to as the ghost Starbucks. And I set up and did my work there in complete peace and silence, which is very unnerving at a campus. Uh, yeah, it, it is unnerving to not be in a library and find silence on campus. But other than that particular endeavor, I've also been working with you, in fact, on our Candle Deep adaptation as we're trying to turn 17 loosely knit adventures into a fully functional campaign. I think the season one of the first five uh, episodes is coming along nicely. I agree. Like, I don't want to give any spoilers away, but trying to link these adventures is actually starting to tell it. It's like we're building the story after the fact, and it's coming together very, very cleanly in just the right amount of Eldritch. <laughs> Although, uh, turns out naming things after just picking words because you think they're cool and then learning they're literally named after geographic regions may not be the best strategy from Wizards of the Coast. Yeah, one of the uh, adventures in Candlekeep is called The Canopic Being, which sounds very mysterious. 
so I looked it up, and apparently Canopic uh, means of or related to the ancient Egyptian city of Canopus, uh, which, um, well, it's in the Sword Coast, so ancient Egypt doesn't exist. Or now it does, which gives your players the means to cause you trouble. <laughs> so, to pivot into today's main topic, make sure to tune in to the end of the show for your chance to win a digital copy of The Waltz of Blades. Deluxe edition! New chapters! Yeah! Alright, so let's get into the meat and potatoes. And we're going to start with, what was the first show you watched that had a multiverse in it, Carl? The first show that I watched that had a multiverse. Hmm. Uh, well, yeah, I'm, I'm not even, not even sure. Uh, trying to think about what the first shows I watched were. No, I, I watched a lot more, uh, like Western animation, which has always been, uh, uh, pretty, pretty tame in that regard so when i when i was younger you know it's like uh the flintstones uh dexter's laboratory might have a multiverse uh i know they dabbled in time travel there was a fantastic time travel movie jimmy neutron apparently had a crossover with the uh fairly odd parents universe i did see that and i think to this day it still gives me casual night terrors because their animation styles did not match at all (laughs) And yeah, it was yeah, just 3D Timmy Turner is, is uh, somewhat distressing. Although to go into your Dexter's Lab, Dexter's Lab and the Powerpuff Girls literally were in the same setting. They were background characters in each other's shows, and there were some mutual characters that connected the two. That kind of makes me wonder if there's any connection between Dexter's, Dexter's Lab and, and Fairly Odd Parents. I don't know. I don't know if it was part of the same. I, I don't want to butcher his name, but as I'm buffering the name here, the creator, whose name will reoccur to me shortly, of both the Powerpuff Girls and Fairly and Dexter's Lab did a bunch of shows, and he made sure like to almost insight it. Gendy Tarakovsky, I believe it was, which I definitely butchered. Uh, isn't he also the guy who did uh, Samurai Jack? Yes, which is also in the same cinematic universe of sorts. Where there's like illusions that it took that theirs is a post-apocalyptic world as the other two shows. <laughs> you will find Easter eggs, the same cities in the backgrounds, dusted over signs. But to pivot back into the topic of Marvel... The first intro into the concept of a multiverse I recall was in the boppin' 90s Spider-Man show. Not to be confused with the incredibly oh-so-memeable earlier Spider-Man show. (laughs) The one from the 90s. So, the amazing Spider-Man? Before before Ultimate, I think it was just called Spider-Man. So many Spider-Man. Oh, yeah, because the 90s Spider-Man cartoon is, which I believe there just is what it's referred to as Spider-Man 1994, which, to give away my own age, puts me at tiny. But thanks to the power of reruns, I do recall this show. (laughs) And 
They definitely did a full Into the Spider-Verse thing as, like, their main season finale. So they had, like, the Iron Spider. They had an actor who played Spider-Man in the movies as one of them that was pulled in. And it literally ends with Spider-Man having a chat with Stan Lee. No, that's pretty funny. And that show was probably the first, like, instance of the big Marvel crossovers on TV. Because they had an X-Men crossover. They had a Blade crossover where he had a lightsaber and a hoverbike. Wow. Nick, Sounds like I missed out. Oh, yes. Objectively show. So if it's still on Netflix, no, Netflix does not sponsor the show, but they could. <laughs> it would definitely be worth checking out because they went through, like, they actually did, like, the full five and six episode long plot arcs in that one. That's probably my favorite version of the Venom story in it. And they even did the straight up secret war where they're like, oh, yeah, we just have an army of good guys versus bad guys fighting for the Beyonders amusement. But, to move to something I'm certain you did see, Into the Spider-Verse was a more recent Marvel Multiverse-esque thing by Sony. And that is a delightful experience. Uh, yeah, I mean, uh, it did super well, so I think that's part of the reason that Sony has decided to uh, uh, capitalize on... Uh, keeping Spider-Man in the MCU to do uh, multi-universe crossovers and stuff as well. So did you manage to check out the new Spider-Man movie trailer? Uh, you know, ironically, I don't think I actually watched the trailer itself, uh, but I did watch um, Cinema Blend is, is a channel that I subscribe to, and they were talking about how uh, they suspect uh, that the Doctor Strange which casts a magical spell to uh, make it so that Peter was uh, not revealed. Much uh, in the same way I probably... cast... Oh, sorry? <laughs> well, he probably is actually the real Doctor Strange, according to the cinema blend. Interestingly, like, I saw a fan theory that instantly, because if you didn't get the update, they straight up brought in Doc Ock from Spider-Man 2. Hmm. So they're literally crossing over with the other live-action Spider-Man movies, which... Taking a moment to appreciate that we've had nine spider live action Spider Man movies in my lifetime, but only one Firefly movie is just criminal. <laughs> Anyways. And they went to the things to be like, Oh, it's Doc Ock, and you could tell from the color of his robot arms that they're still controlling him. And it's like people will pan pause a Marvel trailer frame by frame by frame. If they could data mine a Marvel trailer, they would. Yeah, there are some pretty uh, intense Marvel fans, uh, which actually um, I watched a theory video about how uh, the plot of Loki is actually that uh, the viewers are uh, the uh, villains who are trying to enforce the uh, sacred timeline. Uh, because they're unwilling to accept change and, and forward motion into the future over nostalgia. That is a truly much more beautiful and interesting and intricate theory than the one I read, which was on Honest Trailers, which simply said the point of that show is how long would it take for you to hook up with yourself? <laughs> uh, well, if there were a female version of myself, I, I feel like I might be able to accept that. If there was a male uh, version the... of myself, I'd accept that. I'm beautiful. No, nah, if if there were a male version of myself, I would probably have to kill it. I mean, there can there can be only one. 
Uh, I mean, a male version of myself is probably the only thing that could put my current relationship in jeopardy. And a female version of myself? I don't know. Like, I put my personal ratio at, like, 70-30. So the female one would have better odds of succeeding, but the male one still has a pretty decent chance with me. <laughs> I know who I am. Fair, fair enough. But, uh. did you actually... So, I also recently watched... I'm a personal fan on YouTube of Pitch Meetings. Uh, I also love Pitch Meetings. Uh, as a little side note, uh, Ryan George is kind of just a hilarious comedian in general. Uh, so he has some some other... Um, it's a similar format where he just goes over random things like the first guy to ever rob a bank or... or uh, I'm also uh, a fan of his things. Like another one is like how all the tools got their name. Hammer. You can't just take his name. Jackhammer. Okay. <laughs> uh, and, so, I mean, again, not sponsored, but uh, if but you just a fan, seen Ryan George, he's a funny guy. Oh, absolutely. And yeah, I haven't got around to seeing Legend of the Ten Rings yet, partly because that would involve going into a building with human beings. Hmm. Which, in the world we live in, it's becoming more and more acceptable, but I personally choose to leave isolation when necessary, and that's pretty much it. <laughs> but I did watch the pitch meeting for it and enjoyed how he went over what the particular Marvel checkboxes are to make a Marvel movie. Oh, yeah. Secret societies. Check. Uh, Color-coded uh, laser battles. Check and check. Uh, the hero removes their shirt to show off their six-pack. Mega check. <laughs> like it's it just uh, Shang Chi definitely uh, ticks all of the uh, classic, well now classic, uh, Marvel tropes. I mean, I would. I feel like we could do an entire podcast series where we went through every Marvel movie and went through that checklist to see if it all got checked off. Uh, well, I mean, it's it's a pretty effective formula that appeals to an incredibly wide wide audience so like even if some of the the nuance of the script and story get lost people can still kind of follow things especially like the color-coded laser battles you, you definitely know who, exactly who to cheer for because they're color-coded i mean i think the color-coded laser battles goes all the way back to dragon ball z <laughs> where at some point between dragon ball and dragon ball z the animator's like, okay, we can't have them fire the same color lasers at each other. Vegeta gets purple, because we said so. Goku gets blue, because we said so. Now we can track what's happening in this world. Uh, well, and then when Vegeta became a good guy, I'm fairly certain his uh, energy blast became blue. Huh. Maybe, maybe a Mandela affecting myself, but... I mean, he also... He had blue and he had yellow, because everyone gets a yellow energy blast. Hmm. Very few people get a color code energy blast, but you can well, learn a lot even, about a character by their energy blast color if they have one. Even the yellow energy blasts, though, they're color coded because you know they're not going to do anything. I mean, Hellzone Grenade was an act of beauty, but you're right. It, it did, in fact, do nothing. It was just really cool. <laughs> in any event, uh, Marvel seems to have picked up on the idea that color coded energy blasts are uh, a visual indication of who to cheer, who to cheer for yeah you Which see it's pretty nice actually because uh, a lot of more modern movies do a lot of uh telling instead of showing and it, it's somewhat refreshing to see uh 
someone try and do more showing rather than telling so that the uh, audience can feel uh, more engaged. Yeah. So if Marvel is the Caesar salad where you order it with your meal and you're pretty confident what you're going to get. And yes, for my co-host, we may have to substitute the lettuce for croutons. But Caesar salad is a pretty consistent thing. But let's pivot over to DC, which is the grocery store sushi of movie consistency. Uh, well, I mean, the DC is is, is also incredibly interesting uh, because um, the uh, Justice League was released and had a, a bunch of turbulence during its its development. Uh, but then the the Snyder Cut was released, and uh, again, this is from Cinema Blend on YouTube. Uh, but they seem to be theorizing that. Um, one of those movies was actually the bad ending. And so both movies exist simultaneously in canon because they're just uh, different runs through a time loop. That is a fantastic theory. Having sat through and went through the experience that is the Snyder Cut, it's kind of funny. So people throw a lot of shade at the Snyder Cut for being four hours of movie, which is fair. Mm. However, if you watch Marvel Infinity War and then Marvel Endgame, you're getting pretty close to that four-hour mark as well. Uh, yeah, and and those two movies definitely have um, the uh, the Star Wars problem where uh, um, the... you're going to have to be more specific when you state the Star Wars problem. No, the the Empire Strikes Back and uh, not a New Hope. Return of the Jedi. Return of the Jedi. I believe the technical term for that is the sophomore jinx. Sophomore Jinx. Although that normally applies to the second movie being the one that drops the ball. Well, where... no, not so much that they drop the ball as much as um, the Empire Strikes Back did not resolve anything. Uh, and so then the other movie doesn't really exist in the absence of... The Return of the Jedi doesn't really exist in the absence of the Empire Strikes Back. You are definitely correct on that one. So here's an interesting DC thing I discovered this morning. Are you familiar with the Injustice video games? Uh, vaguely, yeah. So, to super summarize the concept, they dropped a trailer for an animated Injustice movie. Hmm. And Injustice is one of the original what happens when Superman snaps stories? Hmm. And a trend I've noticed with recent shows, including the super successful Amazon Invincible series is evil Superman is more common than OG Superman now. <laughs> it's always dark, gritty, evil Superman. And my question to you is, does Superman, can you do an anti-Superman if there is no original Superman? Like if we just keep doing dark, gritty Superman, will it lose all meaning? Cause no one will actually remember that Superman's supposed to be a good guy. Uh, I mean, uh, there's a, a pendulum effect in in almost all things where uh, if you swing too far one way, uh, eventually going back the other way seems novel and fresh. Yeah, that's an interesting point. Like, for example, at some point, Batman got so edgy that I am looking... I w a movie came out that was campy Adam West Batman remastered, and I loved it. It's... Uh, not necessarily that it's a unique concept, but more so uh, that it's uh, 
refreshing to see something different from what's been prevalent in in the media the past decades. Yeah, a good example of that being the terribly named The Suicide Squad. So for anyone who watched DC's first live-action Suicide Squad attempt, may have had a similar effect to me, where they did an anime one, an animated one, a year before, did a live-action one, and the live-action one was just worse. Yeah. It was the same that, movie, but worse. The it would, same movie, but worse. Yeah. Well, no, I mean, not exactly the same movie. I mean, Attack on Arkham was... Uh, was I mean, it was an interesting concept, but not, not quite exactly the same, which is probably part of what made it superior to the live-action one because, uh, well, in the live-action one, uh, Waller creates all of her own problems. Yes, but the Assault on Arkham has some beautiful plot twists I don't want to spoil. And the way I see it, Batman is a lot like, oh, I'm going to say Jack Daniels. Jack Daniels, for those who are not used to drinking questionable substances that are alcoholic, is not a good drink on its own. I may get some hate mail for this. Feel free to hate me in the comments. The algorithm loves it. But if you take the right amount of Jack Daniels and pair it with stuff, you can make a palatable drink. So if you just drink Batman, you'll just get sick of Batman. But Assault on Arkham puts a shot of Batman in your cola, and it is delightful. That is definitely uh, an excellent analogy. I mean, some people do like to do just shots, uh, and I mean, to each their own. But I do agree. If you if you uh, mix uh, some some shots with your cola, you can get something else that it is far better than its constituent parts. Which is interesting to loop back around to the Marvel discussion that most fans I talk to are kind of sick at the Marvel superhero origin movie. Because mm. at first it's like, oh, right, Maple Teeny. And then you get to your eighth Maple Teeny and you realize, maybe I shouldn't just be drinking Maple Teenies. And we got spoiled with the fancy mixed drinks that were Infinity War and Endgame and Captain America Civil War. And now we're like, okay, we don't want to just watch Spider-Man. Spider-Man is basically, oh, let Spider-Man be Bailey's. Bailey's is delicious. You can just drink Bailey's. But when you get around to six glasses of Bailey's, you might just be over it. Well, uh, I like uh, going back to DC when and Batman. Um, almost every live-action Batman movie contains the scene of his parents being shot and the pearl necklace being broken. Like It's just like... It's kind of funny because... Batman wasn't originally, that wasn't the original origin scene, but it's almost been retconned back in. The He saw specifically the Mask of Sorrow, the Pearl Necklace being exploded. That was a later addition to the story. <laughs> uh, but now it's like uh, every single movie has to somehow touch on, on Batman's origins. He can't just be the Batman. I mean, the Lego Batman movie, one of the best Batman movies ever made objectively, if not objectively the best Batman movie. He just works into part of the song montage. <laughs> Dead parents. Uh, Lego Batman is one of my favorite iterations of Batman, although that might be because he is far closer to uh, the Adam West Batman. Uh, I think he hits the are... perfect sweet spot between modern Batman and Adam West Batman. 
if you ever seen the the Adam West Batman movie, it's 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 so so campy and ridiculous. You know, he's holding a bomb and he's trying to find somewhere safe to throw it so it can explode. And he goes to throw it into the lake, but he can't throw it into the lake because there's there's ducks in the lake. Oh. Some days you just can't get rid of a bomb. The scene that hurts me the most in that movie is they're solving a puzzle. And it's kind of like a D&D group solving a puzzle where they roll a natural 20 and you just give them the solution. Because he's like, right. the, there's a card, so it's the Joker. And it happened at C. C is for Catwoman. <laughs> Oh, and there's my man rushing on a banana peel. Huh. He's rushing. Ah, it's just <laughs> so great. But the then Lego Batman, though, homage so much Batman. And to loop back to this multiverse goodness, it had the best montage of villains that have ever worked their way into a movie. Never will there be a movie that has Daleks and Sauron fight Batman. Uh, but uh, one of the... Uh... Um, coming back to the the Suicide Squad, um, you know it, it was better than Suicide Squad, uh, but I don't know if either of them were actually as as good as Attack on Arkham. I will uh, say this about the Suicide Squad: they were the master of Chekhov's bullet. So oh. I'm. It's no secret that I'm a fan of the first few seasons of Arrested Development because mm. I love it. When a show will dedicate a stupid amount of time, money, and resources to tell a single pun, make a single callback, or make a single mediocre joke. Mm. And I don't want to give too much away for those who haven't seen The Suicide Squad, but a throwaway line at the start ends up working its way into the climax so perfectly that I wept at the beauty of that joke. Uh, but uh, the... Uh... The live-action movie should definitely take a note out of uh, DC's animated movies because the animated movies have have actually uh, pretty incredible writing and plot stories uh, yeah. considering their origins. Absolutely. The Marvel animated stuff, such as the recent Marvel What If series, has been okay. Like I said, Marvel is very consistent. It's ordering pizza. It's comfort food. It's... Um, I'm going to say Captain Morgan's rum. Like, it's pretty consistently good. DC definitely takes much wider shots. And sometimes you're like, what do I do with Fireball Whiskey? And other times you put it in Dr. Pepper and you're like, this shouldn't have worked, but it did. <laughs> Note, drink responsibly if you are legal drinking age. Also, hashtag not spawn. I mean, oh man, though, if our sponsors just set us bottles of superhero-themed liquor for our show, that would be delightful. Hint. All right. So with that, I think we're going to wrap up with this week's submissions. So last week, we attempted to do a random question of the week. However, I was then informed that a random question of the week being about dragons makes it not really random. So, I've decided to do a random question of the week and a dragon question of the week. And if we choose your dragon to, uh, question or dragon to be used on the show, you receive a free digital copy of the Waltz of Blades Deluxe Edition. So, for our dragon question this week, I'll ask you, Carl, what slash who is your favorite dragon character and why? Um, well... 
I uh, really like Shendu from Jackie Chan Adventures. Yes. Uh, <laughs> uh, the main reason I do like Shendu from Jackie Chan Adventures is because I super uh, enjoyed uh, the fact that Jackie Chan voiced himself in this uh, completely fictitious fight against supernatural beings and stuff. And, uh, the He was just a cool, cool enemy. Oh yes, who, uh, did actually succeed on some of his of his most sinister plans. One of the things I really liked about Shendu, not saying he's my dragon, my dragon holds a special place, but is I really appreciated. They made a statue menacing. Like there's a certain amount of respect that immediately goes into that, <laughs> and I also really respect when a Western cartoon has continuity. And Jackie Chan mm-hmm. Adventures committed to the long serialized story. Shendu managed it to stay. A main villain slash occasional anti-hero until the final fight. He was there. And yes, I did yeah. go back and finish that series later. <laughs> also, I really appreciate when you tried to play him as your D&D character one time. I am so sad for how that played out. <laughs> but if you ever want to try that again, I mean... Paladin of Conquest Shendu after the magical talismans to regrain his dragon powers is just a beautiful character. <laughs> uh, so who is your favorite dragon there, Richard? So as much as I want to aim at some of the famous magic ones, what I want, I'm going to give a shout out to first honorable mention to Dragon Knight. Mm. He's not my favorite dragon because there's many Dragon Knights and they're not all my Dragon Knight. But shout out to Dragonite. But my actual favorite dragon is Toothless from How to Train Your Dragon. Because he's effectively a giant cat with wings you can have as an adorable pet and fly on. Yeah, yeah, he is definitely an excellent choice. Yeah, like, oh man, like the amount of things in my life I would trade for a Toothless <laughs> is unquestionable. So I'm definitely giving Toothless, who I have a Toothless plushie on my bookshelf right now, first place. And right next to him is my Dragonite plushie, because dragons are the best animal, objectively speaking. As long as they're not evil dragons. I mean, even still, like, if I have to choose my villain between Shendu or Whiplash... No, Whiplash was the kind of side villain from Iron Man 2... Nah, I'd much rather tangle with a dragon. I'm going to die, but I'm going to die a much cooler death. Well, I mean, now it's time to roll the dice and see what the random question is. All right, and a random question coming in from the mysterious man in the hat. Is it possible to have a tasty vegetable salad without fruit or leaves? A vegetable salad without fruit or leaves. So I'll let uh, you answer this one first, because there's your mortal enemy is just standing there waiting for you to knock it down a peg. Well, I mean, uh, now now this uh, comes to your de- comes to the definition of salad, but it, if it does have to include vegetables, uh, I would say uh, like uh, macaroni salad, uh, and then you get like some shredded carrots in there. Like that's that's reasonably delicious. That's fair, that's fair. See, the question, what I think from the phrasing and focus of it is, so first, the topic of salads. By definition, considering you can go to restaurants and order a salad that contains no vegetables at all, 
salad, as discussed, can be is just a method of serving something and has lost all actual dish meaning. It's like a like an unbaked casserole. Exactly. Any unbaked casserole is essentially a salad. So you can have a fruit salad, you can have a meat salad, you can have my famous pasta salad where the only vegetable is green onions and it's mostly blocks of meat and cheese and pasta. And I mean, the only difference between a pasta salad in that context and an actual pasta dish is the temperature. But if we only get vegetables and we can't have leaves, so first off, I like lettuce. However, my co-host here has... So I once upon a time ran an experiment to see whether or not Carl truly could tell if lettuce had touched his food. Like, not just eat lettuce. That's easy. If a piece of lettuce is placed on his food and then removed, can he tell? So to perform this experiment, I brought home Subway consistently at a regular interval. You know, for at least a two-month period of time, so he wouldn't grow suspicious of my intentions. I then had a single fragment of lettuce placed under a piece of meat on the sandwich. It was awful. It ruined that bite. It ruined the bite and ruined the sandwich. So... <laughs> I wouldn't say it ruined the whole sandwich, but that, that one bite was like, ah, oh, yeah, I knew it. So, for Carl... The only tasted vegetable salad is without leaves. Mm -hmm. So if I were to give you, and keeping in mind we can't have cucumbers or avocados or tomatoes, it turns out we put a lot of fruit in our vegetable salads. So I'm pretty much just giving you green onions in a bowl because we can't have peppers. I'm not actually sure what you get other than green onions in this bowl, but a green onions in a bowl with a balsamic dressing is a much better vegetable salad than if I were to give him a traditional chopped salad. Like, if I just gave you carrots and celery sticks with a ranch dip and called it a salad, victory. <laughs> well, I mean, uh, our, our uh, listeners are free to post uh, their ideas for leafless uh, vegetable salads or favorite dragons. Uh, and uh, one lucky uh, commenter will receive an ebook version of Waltz of Blades, the and, deluxe edition. And feel free to post your own questions. And if we use your question as our random question of the day, or our random dragon question, you can also get your free ebook of the Waltz of Blades deluxe edition in all its glory. Thank everybody for tuning in, and have yourselves a lovely eh, undefined time period of enjoyment. Uh, yeah, I'll, I hope you have a good morning, and uh, if it's not morning, have a good afternoon, good evening, and a good night. Farewell. <laughs>